So glad to have everybody again this morning. Grab your bulletin, grab a Bible, grab the app, open that up as we continue into week six of our Words of Life series where we are examining New Testament words, uh, big words of the New Testament that bring us to life in Christ. And I'm excited to share the one with you this morning. So it was about 10 years ago that a YouTube video that was pretty unique went viral as they do. It was a YouTube video that had the title, and it was by Jefferson Bethke, a spoken word title, in which he said, why I hate religion, but love Jesus. In the first seven days of it going live on YouTube, it was viewed a million times. Since that, over the last 11 years, it's been viewed over 35 million times, which I know in YouTube numbers, that's not very many, but for spoken word Christian poems, that's a lot. It's still a very popular thought. In the words of Jefferson Bethke, in part, what he said in it is he was making Jesus out to be the enemy of religion. Why I hate religion but love Jesus. In part, here's what he says. I'll read some of the lines to you. He says, what if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? If religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Because the problem with the religion is that it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. One is the work of God. One is a man-made invention. One is a cure. The other is the infection. Because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in shackles, but Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus lets you see. It's good words. But as you can imagine, there's anything that you put out on the internet, everybody thinks they have to have an opinion on it, right? There was a lot of takes. There was reactions, some that agreed, some that said, yes, finally somebody has said it, religion and its man-weighed ways. Jesus is the enemy of those things. One of the most unique responses that came out to it, though, was another spoken word poem. This time by a guy whose tag or his username on YouTube is Father Pontifex. He's a Catholic priest, a young Catholic priest in his 30s. And he entitled his poem, Why I Love Religion and Love Jesus. Here are some of his words. He says, what if I told you Jesus loves religion? And that by his coming as man, he brought religion to fruition. See, his religion is the largest worldwide source of relief for the hungry, the poor, the sick, and repentant thief. We all detest hypocrisy. An empty show is just the worst. But blaming religion for contradiction is like staring at death and blaming the hearse. So as far religion goes, I love it. I have won because Jesus rose from the dead and won it. I believe when Jesus said it is finished, that his religion had just begun. Now, more stark contrast of views on this word religion, you would be hard pressed to find. The more, this morning, many of you may have found yourself agreeing with one of the lines, nodding your head or shaking your head at others, maybe disagreeing with the lines. But what we're going to examine this morning is which view of religion is correct. What is religion 
And we're really going to examine this morning by looking at the New Testament, was Jesus religious or was he and is he the enemy of such a thing? And if religion is bad, what do we do with it? But if it's good, how should we think about it? How should we practice it? And how should we display it? This morning, this isn't easy questions to answer. What is religion? It's a big topic with a lot of different opinions. But I believe the questions that these poems bring up in the world that views religion may be different than we ever have in history. They are worthy of our time and study. And I am thankful this morning that there is one New Testament book that describes religion succinctly. It's the five-chapter book of wisdom that you know as James. His real name was not James, but we'll get into that some other day. But James gives this focused attention on what religion should be, what it can be, what Jesus has made it to be. And it is a New Testament book that you might be surprised by this morning. I've been praying over this morning. I want to continue that prayer that we will hear this word anew today. Not defined by our world, but defined by the New Testament itself. So let's pray together one more time. I want to ask God to move in us and act in us today. Father, we ask for your grace today. We ask that we understand what it means to be religious people and whether that's good or bad. Help us be convicted in sections of our life where we just are going through the motions and also help us to be convicted of how we can display your goodness to the world. I agree with both those poems in some way. But God, it's not about agreeing with these poems today. We want to agree with you. And we want to agree with the words that you gave James many years ago. May your will be done in us, Lord, as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And of course, when you talk about religion, it's a hush-hush taboo topic, isn't it? It's one that you're not supposed to bring up at the dinner table, but of course we do, right? How many of us are here that haven't ever had an argument over religion? Everybody has a take on it. Some good, some not. Some positive, some negative. A lot of our world now sees religion as self-help. Some of us see religion as necessary. Others see religion as a crutch. Marx is credited as calling religion the opiate of the masses. But whatever our take is, before we hear from James, what will be helpful most is if we go back and we understand how James understood religion. Back before, long before Jesus was on the scene, long before James ever wrote this, there was an understanding of what it meant to be religious. And for us to understand what kind of religion Christianity really is, we need to go back and look at that. So in the ancient world, religion, especially in the Roman world, the Romans described religion as what is called the Pax Deorum, a phrase that just means the peace of coexistence with the gods. Peaceful coexistence with the gods. The Pax Deorum was an idea like the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, this was an idea or a philosophy of how we as Romans were to keep peace through sacrifice 
to keep the gods happy through prayers and gifts, to keep peace through religious rites and ritual and tradition. The gist of Pax Deorum was what the gist of religion has been through the centuries, through paganism and all kinds of expression. It was the idea that gods, little g, were superior and sometimes angry, oftentimes angry. And we puny humans better appease them. So we better keep peace. And religion was the practice of keeping that peace, the Pax Deorum, so that we would not be, wonderful words, smited, right? And this has held true through centuries, whether you were Roman or whether you were Medo-Persian or whether you were Babylonian or whether you were Assyrian or whether you were ancient, ancient Mesopotamian all the way back to the days of Abraham. Religion was practices in order to appease. Now, the Bible enters the conversation and religion gets a new meaning. In the Old Testament, God is a God who does want worship and demands it. He is seen as a true and high ruler with power. Sacrifices and prayers are made to him, but the new message in the Bible is not one of appeasement or obligation. Instead of Pax Deorum, the Bible gives us a religion that is built out of covenant, a religion that is an expression of relationship. I'll show you, for example, up on the screen is the Ten Commandments, just how they're, they're the, not the Ten Commandments itself, but just how the Ten Commandments break down. The Ten Commandments are the covenant um, agreement between God and his bride, Israel. They are very much like a marriage covenant. They appear in Exodus chapter 20, and they are structured like this. Verse 2 opens up where God will say, I am the God who rescued you out of slavery. The commands open up not with, I am the God who will get you. It is, I am the God who has saved you. Now, because I've saved you, let me give you a document, a guideline, a lifestyle of religion that lets you see how to live in my covenant community. And so he begins in verse 2 with rescue, then verses 3 through 7, which are the commands 1, 2, 3, 4, right? They are commands in which you honor God, right? 1, 2, and 3, sorry. You honor God. You don't take his name in vain. You don't build idols that try to look like him. He's bigger than all that. It's for what he and who he is. You honor for him for who he is and what he has done. Remember, he is the God who saves. Then at the middle is the longest command in the Ten Commandments. Verses 8 through 11 is a command that is so strange in the ancient world. This God commands his people, I want you to take naps I want you to slow down. I don't want you to define your life by work. In fact, I'm going to give you a day of rest every Saturday. This is a God we can get behind, right? I want you to rest. And you guys are going, no, we're West Texans. We don't rest. I'll rest when I die. You'll die earlier, right? 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 But this is the God who wants us to rest. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments, 12 through 17, are because of who God is and a God who invites you to rest and a God who saves you. Now, here's how you live and bless the community you're part of. 
Religion then to the ancient Old Testament Israelites was one that was responsive to God because of his rescue, a people who rested and a people who would take care of each other. They lived in community. They didn't take each other's wives. They didn't take each other's property. They didn't covet. They didn't steal. They didn't murder. They loved. So the Bible comes along into this ancient idea of Pax Deorum, which is appeasement, and gives us new language for religion, the language of relationship. Religion in the Jewish experience, and this is how you need to read the Old Testament, side note, is a dynamic relationship with God tied to all areas of life. And you might say, well, no, I've read Leviticus, Jake. There's no way that's what that's about. You misread Leviticus. Leviticus is about how to live holy in an unholy world. Why? Because God has saved. It's all about grace. So when we hear Jefferson Bethke in his spoken word on why he hates religion but loves Jesus, I think we get it, right? I hate hypocrisy too. I hate religious chores. I hate traditionalism. I hate churches that exist to do things just because that's what they've always done. I can't stand it. And you can't either. Now, some of you are like, well, I kind of like it. Well, you, 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 you don't. <laughs> you really don't. But the thing that we are going to learn is that while we don't like those things, there is a better way. Because James would make no distinction between a guy's poem that says, I hate religion but love Jesus, and another's guy position that would say, well, I love Jesus and love religion. James would say, I see no dichotomy. There is no difference. James comes along, Jesus' brother, and he says there is no either or. It's not that you either have a religion or you follow Jesus. You either go to church or you be spiritual. You either be a mean, condescending, holier-than-thou Christian jerk or you be a loving person. Jesus, Jesus didn't present that and James doesn't either. There is no such false dichotomy. Religion when we open up James, is both and. And the first thing I want you all to see this morning is he's going to show us that true religion both talks and walks. James 2, 15 through 17 says it this way. We're going to kind of work backwards. We're going to be in James 2 and in James 1, but we're going to work backwards. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds... Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, I'll pray for you, right? I added that part in, but that's not really there. That's what we say. But does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is it's not accompanied by action. It's what, church? It's dead. Now, this text is often made us stumble a little bit because we've asked questions of this text that really James isn't trying to answer. But what James is bringing up here is he's, man, he is bringing it home. This is, this is great preaching. This is great teaching because James is challenging a version of Christianity that can look spiritual and sound religious, but is really just a show. It can play church. 
You know what playing church is, right? I dress up, I look good, I go through the motions, and then I treat my waitress at the restaurant like dirt. You played church. It doesn't talk the talk. And it doesn't walk the walk. Or it may talk the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. Or it may sometimes walk the walk, but doesn't talk the talk. See, what James is bringing it together is he's saying it has to do both. It's no good for us to just say it, but not live it. So uh, it's like this giant spotlight. Look at this thing. It's made by a Humvee. This is a serious spotlight, right? It's got, if I look on the side here, kidding, not, I'm getting old, 15 million candle watt power, right? Right? It's monstrous. It looks like it's got power behind it. And you guys cover your eyes, right? Just kidding. I turn this thing on and it does nothing. You know why? Because Kelly Ward gave me a dead spotlight. The battery is dead. And that's what James is getting at. He's saying, you look good. You told your neighbor, hey, I'm going to take care of you. You have all this religious stuff around you, but you don't really walk the walk. See, a real Christian, they might be small in stature, right? But when they're filled with the Spirit of God, right, light comes out of them. It does something totally different. God moves in them. So religion both talks and it walks. Without a power source, without change, without us actually having something that matters outside of four walls, what good is all our words? What good is all our song? What good is all our prayers? What good is it to have belief without actions, James says? What good is it to have faith. It's like telling a friend, I'll pray for you and never doing it. It's like seeing a person in need and not feeding them. It's like thinking of the hurting or being nudged by the Holy Spirit as we often are to encourage a brother or sister and then saying, oh, somebody else will take care of that. It's like noticing the opportunity to bless and not taking it. See, true religion both walks and talks. But James is going to continue, and he's also going to say this. True religion permeates and activates. So go back to James chapter 1. Let's go backwards into verses 22 through 25. He's going to say this. He's going to say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. He says, if you're just listening to the word, you're already deceiving yourself. But do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I think what James is getting at, he's like, you do you know what you look like? In Christ, we are to be what? Christian means little Christ. 
So we are to look like Jesus. So Jesus or James believes in a religion unlike our tasteless definitions that is beautiful and flavorful. We all know how nasty a self-centered and hypocritical religion can taste. It's empty, it's vapid, it's idol worship. See, Christianity, guys, it permeates. It's not self-help. We sometimes want Christianity to fall under this category of self-help. It's not self-help, it's God-help. It's helping us, God partnering with us, looking through us and in us and working with us as we look into the perfect law that gives freedom. And we look and we, for, we don't forget what we look like. We look like Jesus. We get filled with his image and then we go out and we activate the world. So I tried to do something. I don't know if this is gonna work. I tried to make fizzy fruit for y'all this morning. I carbonated fruit. I put in this cooler last night for 12 hours, some dry ice and some fruit. And it worked at my house on Friday night. And what's supposed to happen is this CO2 over time, if it's sealed in here, well, no, I've got it locked. That's what my problem is. Hey, your door's locked, buddy. Is it should permeate the fruit and activate it where now this stuff has fizz inside of it. So, it does, it's a little different. So I'm gonna pass some of this around and I'm gonna let you guys have some of this. And you guys can try this, check this out. Got some strawberries, got some orange slices. It's really pretty good. Ooh, the orange, that tastes real different, that's cool. So it's got a little fizz, like we put a zot, or you remember those zots from the 80s? We got that in there. But I want you guys to taste this. And teens, I'll just let you guys start, take a grape and pass them around, or take an orange slice. And I know I don't have enough for everybody, teachers, I didn't bring enough for everybody, but try one of those, try one of those, man, try that. Try that, what do you think? Warren, you want one? That's right, try that. There's gonna be a little bit of fizz in there, right? Hey, I'll check that out. You can taste it just a little bit on your tongue and that's the idea. Oh, we got volunteers coming up here. All right, there you go, get out of here. All right, get out of here. All right, <laughs> I like that, Riley. All right, okay, that's the idea. This is what James is getting at, is that it should permeate you and it should activate you. It's not something that's flat. It is something that when we follow Jesus, it really gets into us and changes us. Now, you're gonna see this where this really works as we go, all right? All right, eyes on the preacher, not on the fruit, come on. All right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, here's, here's, let's back it up just back to chapter one. So let's get into where he really uses the phrase religion. And this will bring it all together. When Jesus, when, when James, I keep calling him Jesus, he was his brother. When James uses the word religion itself, it all forms a picture for us now. James 1, 26 and 27. 
It says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And then he goes on to say this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, commonly what the word for religion is in Greek in the ancient world was this word, threskos, that meant pax deorum. It meant respecting and honor the little G gods, making sacrifices, doing religious rites. That's what James, when he writes this, is writing into a world that understood, well, yeah, I know how to be religious. I know how to go to a church service, or I know how to go to a temple. And in almost all cases in the ancient world, writers would use that word to be about sacrifice and prayers and gifts for the gods. But here's what James is doing. James takes this word and extends it well beyond its original meaning, well beyond its original meaning. And he says, I'll tell you what real religion is. It talks and walks, it permeates and activates, and your final one, it is an inward truth with an outward expression. He is extending the word, he's extending the, the definition of religion to get into what it really is in Christ. It is built out of relationship so that it makes a difference in the world. It's something that moves and acts. It's something that changes. It's something that when we show up here, as I've heard it said before, that if your church service doesn't change your community, you have a social club, not a church. That if your church services don't make a difference, you're just in a club. And that's what James is getting at. Because what he says here is that religion, best expressed, is care for the least cared for. Orphans and widows. It's one that makes a difference. James extends the definition of religion into one that is a comprehensive life ethic. It's authentic. It's real. In its purest form, it cares for the most vulnerable. Now, I want you to see one more thing. We're going to read verse 27 again. It's on the screen here, but I want you to see what's different. This one's a little bit closer to the original Greek. And we'll close with this idea as we wrap up. I was going to do one more thing with the bowl, but I don't know where my bowl is. I don't worry about it. So no big deal. It's all the way in back. I'm not walking that far. So that's all right. the online audience will think I've left, but uh, that's okay. Let's get into verse 27. See what's different in this than what we just read. This is a little closer to the original Greek. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Did you see it? In this version, there's one word missing from what's in your NIV or, or most other English translations. What's interesting is in the Greek, there is no and between distress and the word to. 
In the Greek, it reads, if you look after orphans and widows, guess what happens to your life? You won't get polluted by the world. See, we often see those things as two different things. Well, I've got my ministry to do, and then I better keep myself on the straight and narrow. As if one side of it is religion and the other side is a different form of religion, right? My straight and narrow is making sure I'm right with God. I took communion. I did my prayers. I did all the things over here I need to do. Over here, I sometimes may do ministry. But what James actually says here is that those two things are not separate. That when we, and parents, note this. You worried about your kids' morals? You worried about your own morals? You worried about living a Christian full life ethic? Take note of what James says. Take care of the most vulnerable in your community and guess what happens? You won't be polluted by the world. It's not and, it's both and. It's these things come together. That's what true religion is. The solution, the idea of religion. Is Jefferson Bethke right? No. Was Father Pontifex, I think I'm saying his word right, was he right? No. It's both. It's that religion is born out of a love that God has shown for us, so therefore I love God and I love others. Jesus was right when he said all the commands hang on those two. Love God and love your neighbor. So I heard this story this past week when I was reading from a guy. Um, it was a, it was a, he's a professor of New Testament. And uh, it was during COVID where he was going on dates to get coffee with his wife, making sure they got together, trying to get sure they kind of got out in the community. And one day they were walking into this coffee shop that they always met at, and they met in the parking lot in separate cars because they were both at work. And then they got out, and they had no cash, no change on them. They just had their debit or credit card on them. And a homeless man approached him and asked him for change. And when he approached him, he just said, can I get anything from you? I'd like a cup of coffee too, because he knew they were going to the coffee shop. Well, they didn't have anything on them, so they were just honest. They said, I don't have anything on them, on me. And they may have said it a little more harsh. They may have said it a little more plain than they needed to. They weren't very nice in their words. He'll admit that. He kind of just said, I don't have anything on me, man. Well, the homeless man just kept walking by, and they kept walking towards the, towards the door of the coffee shop. And that's when the homeless man turned around and hollered at them, do you do anything for anybody else other than yourself? And this New Testament professor was like, oh, because he's thinking, well, I give. My giving hasn't suffered during COVID. I mean, I'm still doing all this stuff. I'm sending money out. But he said he could not shake. That question wrecked him. Do you do anything for anybody else? And I think what he was on to is this. See, the good news, church, the good news of the gospel is not... I got saved so I can go to heaven. That's part of the gospel. But if we had a pie chart, it's a pretty small part. The good news is not that. I got saved so I get to go to heaven. It's not some, the good news is not some individualistic thing of, look, I came to church today, so I must be a good person. The good news is this. The good news is Jesus Christ is the King and Lord of the universe. 
If you don't like that, he's president. He's king. His way trumps everything. That's the good news. And because he's king and Lord, everything can now change in me, in my church, in my world. And I now see everything through the lens of Jesus and through the life of Jesus. So I love God and I care for the hurting. True religion is this, to care for the hurting. Because God has cared for you. That's good news, guys. That's good news that our world desperately needs. Right? Can we give our world that kind of news? Can we launch out of here today and not make some waitress hate Sunday mornings? Can we launch out of here today and make our Monday time with that coworker better because we are living out true religion? Can we launch out of here today with our eyes open, looking not just for a Go Weekend event, but for somebody we can connect with who is hurting, that needs good news in their life as well? That's a word of life. That's a religion I can get behind. Amen? That's a religion I want to live into every day. If you need anything this morning, let's stand together and let's sing.